Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good morning. We're live from Mingara, one of the world's best locations, and it's the 2022 Coach Conference for the Regional Academies of Sport, hosted by the Central Coast Academy of Sport, the... The main man is right alongside me, Ian Moose-Rebilliard, OAM. Good morning, mate. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Steve. Really pleased to be here, stepping in for Buttes. He's, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, and we've got a great lineup of speakers today. Yeah, we've got Buttes waiting on the line. Uh, let me just lay this out before we go any further, though, because there's so many superstars joining us. Uh, I can't wait to hear from Kerry Pothast a little later in the show at 10 o'clock. In fact, the gold medalist from the Sydney 2000 Olympics in beach volleyball. What, what a moment that was, Moose. Well, I think, you know, you, you just think of that at Bondi and that, that game. I mean, you, you still have images of just how that auditorium was set up on the beach. It was just one of those very special Olympic moments, and we'll be able to share that with Kerry later on. Yeah, I watched some footage this morning, and I've got to admit I had tears in my eyes. Uh, uh, Kerry and Natalie Cook, they collapsed on the sand. Their record against the Brazilians... They'd only won three times in 17 matches and they were knocked out in Atlanta by the Brazilians. So they got some revenge on home soil. And when you watch those images, Dawn Fraser picks up the microphone and is trying to pump up the Aussie crowd. They were down in the first set but fought their way back. So I can't wait to hear her story. And of course, she was on SAS Australia. I'm sure you watched that. And she was flying the flag for middle-aged women and trying to say that nothing should stop us. No, and I think also it would be lovely to hear from her about just that home court advantage that, you know, was created at Bondi, such an iconic venue for, for the uh, launch, and I think it was the launch of beach volleyball, volleyball, the first time it actually had been in the Olympics. So, you know, really a very special time and, uh, yeah, really looking forward to hearing from her. Yeah, there's some parallels with her as well with Nicola McDermott, our homegrown superstar in high jump. Nicola said that, you know, when she was younger, she was bullied and she felt a little ostracised because of her height. Now, Kerry Potter says the same thing about when she was growing up in Adelaide, that she was a tall girl and so she was teased. Yeah, and, you know, the anthropometric measurements for her, for that sport, are, are ideal. And, you know, well, Nicola and Matt uh, Horsnell will be here today. They'll be a, a headline act a little bit later in the show. So, you know, I, I know that the 120-odd, coaches that we have in the auditorium here will really take a lot out of that presentation today. Where are they all from, Moose? Well, I guess it's like the points of a compass. Um, <laughs> the, the conference is designed for the coaches in regional New South Wales, so they come literally from every uh, part of New South Wales. We have 11 regional academies, so every regional academy have a cohort of around 10 to 15 uh, coaches that they've brought down to Terrigal. They had a welcome function last night, a full day of uh, coach education today and then a, uh, a conference dinner this evening. So it's a very, very important uh, program 
designed to uh, to assist our local coaches. Hey, uh, one of your good mates will be here, Paul Smith, owner of the Sydney Kings. Tell us more about him and the Kings get the job done on their home court in Game 1 of the NBL final series against the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. Yeah, well, as I mean, Smithy's uh, he's got an interesting story himself because I first met Paul at the PGA of Australia. He was the head of uh, commercial there, and uh, he left the PGA to set up a company called Repicom. And uh, the, as they say in business, the rest is history. He sold that to AC Nielsen, and uh, with that purchase, he, he bought the Sydney Kings. <laughs> so it's kind of uh, a, a real touch point back to uh, Smithy. He's a great guy, and he'll be talking about what he looked at in putting his um, coaching staff together, how he developed the high-performance unit at the Sydney Kings, and the success they've had when he brought Bogut in. And, you know, it's just a unique story that otherwise wouldn't be uh, able to be shared. Yeah, and you know, I won't say it to him, but when I saw the Kings pre-season, I thought they were way off the mark. So to see what they've done this season is miraculous. Repicom, was that a business that Lynn Anderson, formerly with the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs, was involved in? That's right. She was uh, the Australasian CEO from memory. Uh, so Paul would know Lynn very well. He would have actually been her boss at some stage as the owner of uh, Repicom. But I look at the Sydney Kings and I've got a soft spot, as probably most basketballers have for the uh, Tassie team, the Jack Jumpers. Matty Kenyon, who has actually come through our program at the Central Coast Academy of Sport, is a starting forward for them. So I've got mixed loyalties, but uh, I think it'll be the Kings in three. Hey, on stage at the moment is Sean Eady, so former world champion in cycling, Olympic medalist, and in the room at the moment, he's joining us at around about 9.30, Brad McGee, New South Wales Institute of Sport Head of Coaching, but gold medalist at the Olympics. I just want to stand and do a standing ovation right this minute. Yeah, you know, I watched a video last night, and Brad McGee said that when he competed in Sydney, there were 4,000 people at the Dunk Gray Velodrome. He could hear one voice, his dad cheering him on. Yeah, uh, and that brought a tear to the eye. How special is that? I mean... Uh his CV in sport is probably, you know, well, it's just unmatched yeah. in the sport of cycling. And I, I see he's eating a, an early morning coffee here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say he's on the, the jam donut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the lead dietitian would be all over that. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to having a chat with Brad as well as uh, as the day goes on. Yeah, so it's a, just a stellar lineup. There's probably a lot of people saying, where's Buttes? Uh, he joins <laughs> us on the McDonald Jones Homes open line. Uh, Butes, good morning. What's happening? Oh, boys, I, I nearly fell asleep <laughs> waiting, to you all, waiting for you all to get to me. Where are you going there, boys? <laughs> oh, we're on fire, mate. I uh, wish you were here with us because you would absolutely love this. Um, I've what's happening say, to you this I've weekend? Say, I've got to say, boys, I was so impressed with the lineup that you've got there, Moose. And, uh, you know, talking about Kerry Potter, and, you know, you think about going back to that Olympics back in 2000 it put beach volleyball on the map and what better way to do it than by taking out a gold medal those two ladies just absolutely phenomenal and uh yeah just uh, it's a real shame i've got work commitments down in sydney myself so i can't get there uh, until later this afternoon but i'm really looking forward to the dinner tonight uh some amazing speakers and i have no doubt that each and every one of those coaches are going to learn so much from that vast array of talent that is available today Hey, uh, Butes, uh, let's just tick a couple of boxes. Friday night footy, or we can go back to Thursday night footy, and the Broncos get the job done against South Sydney. Now, Tony Clark was on this show last week, and he said he was far from impressed with the Rabbitohs in 2022, and Brisbane do a job on them at Sydney Olympic Park. 
And it's the second time they've done it this year. They've uh, got him on both occasions. And uh, you know what? It was a great performance from a Broncos side that didn't have Payne Haas and Kurt Capewell. Their two best forwards weren't available. But they just absolutely smothered the South Sydney side. And, you know, there, there's got to be some concerns, I believe, for Demetrio in terms of this Rabideau side because, you know, they just are so far away from the team that were the grand finalists last year. Uh, and I look at, um, you know, the loss of Adam Reynolds, and we, and we saw him come up against his uh, former club on Friday night, uh, Thursday night. He was outstanding, and, and it just shows what a quality halfback or the difference a quality halfback makes to any side. And unfortunately for South Sydney, they've lost him, uh, but right now the Broncos have gained him, and you can see the difference. And uh, the Broncos are starting to, I guess, adjust and, and get used to what Adam Reynolds is about and what he can provide their side. Whereas the Rabbitohs, they are just, I think they're in a holding pattern at the moment and probably possibly on a little slide down based on the fact that they, um, Ilias, while doing his best, just doesn't have the experience of an Adam, Adam Reynolds. Hey, Butes, did you see uh, Selwyn Cobbo take off to the races? Uh, I think he was chased by about seven or eight Rabbitohs players, but wow, how good is it to see a player like that in full stride? Mate, outstanding. And you know what? You, you look at the calibre of player that were chasing him down. Alex Johnson, he gave up after 20 metres because he just knew he was no chance <laughs> of catching him. And that's just as simple as yeah. it was. He just knew he, this kid is something special. There's no doubt about it. I've heard the commentators talk about him. Um, and I just hope that they continue to nurture him and give him the time and just allow him to work his way in to this uh, first grade NRL level because it's not easy to do it on a consistent basis. But I think Kevin Walters, uh, he's doing a great job with this young kid. And I think he's doing a great job with the, the young Broncos side because they've certainly proven, especially over the last month or so, that they're going to be competitive. Uh, and I think with Adam Reynolds leading the way, uh, we could see them possibly uh, squeeze into that, you know, that seventh or eighth spot if they keep going the way they are. Yeah, the other thing too, Buttes, if you look back around about three weeks... The Bulldogs are ahead of them at halftime. I think it's 14-4. to 4. And Brisbane, you know, looking down the barrel of a very disappointing season. Now they're, they're three on the trot. And like you said, they're a chance of pushing for the bottom half of the top eight. Uh, last night in the nation's capital, uh, Steve-O's disappointed. I'm speaking about myself in third person. 14-4, to 4, two desperate teams. I think... If I was looking for some positives with the Bulldogs, they got across the line a few times, but tries were disallowed. There was an obstruction. The Raiders, gritty. They held on to that halftime lead, and they, you know, resilient toward the end. They lost a couple of players, including Croker, who's just a legend of their footy club and the third highest scorer in rugby league history. He goes off, so we wish him well, but they get the two points. And like I said, two desperate teams, Buttes. And it's not one you're going to put in the time capsule. No, definitely not, mate. Look, they're two desperate teams. They're also two disappointing teams, I've got to say, uh, the way they've performed in 2022. Uh, and look, it's sad news for Jared Croker, and I hope that he can um, get back on the field. Because, you know, when you think about him, Steve, he's, like you said, his third highest point scorer. He was destined to take over all the records that were, um, you know, point scoring, games, etc. cetera. Uh, he's been around for a long time, but unfortunately, injuries catch up with you, and uh, we've seen it over the last... 12 months for him, and, and hopefully it won't be any further uh, with this injury that he's sustained. But I dare say it probably could be another six to 12 months for him. Uh, it's uh, you know worst case scenario. So uh, that's going to put 
those uh, uh, aspirations, I guess, in relation to breaking those records. Not that he's in there to break records, but he was certainly on track. There's no doubt about it. But like I said before, so two disappointing sides who I think um, can almost write off season 2022 already. Someone uh, posted on social media, I think he may have dislocated the elbow buttes, but someone said, what is Hudson Young doing stretching his uh, calves like, like he had cramp when he's got a, a, busted, uh, a busted elbow? What was, what well, was mate, that? You know, the, you, know the knee, you know the calf bone's connected to the elbow bone? And how that works? <laughs> and, mate, uh, the blockbuster last night, let's talk about that. So Panthers against the Eels. The Eels, after getting hammered by the Cowboys in the top end, they bounce back in the derby 22-20 against the reigning Premiers. And, I mean, it looked like Parramatta were coasting to the finish line. And like all champions do, Penrith found a way to claw their way back. In the end, they had a field goal, a two-point field goal, that could have levelled the match. Yeah, then look, you know, the Panther side is never out of any game. and It doesn't matter how far ahead the opposition is. You know what? I love the fact that, you know, despite Parramatta's indifferent form throughout the year, they got themselves up for this derby. And it was no easy feat. You're going to Penrith. Um, chock-a-block. The crowd was chock-a-block. Uh, absolute sellout. And they're on the back of... I think they're on the back of 21 victories at home. So that's no mean feat, what the Eels did last night. And, you know, I think Brad Arthur will be extremely happy with not only the team's performance, but probably more so their response to what happened last week. And that shows, you know, a test the character from the playing group. It shows their willingness to step up to the mark when they need to. And, you know, I think Penrith last week were a little bit down against the Titans. They weren't as dominant as they've been in the past uh, five or six weeks. So it might have been uh, coming that loss for them. But nevertheless, mate, they're in every contest. They lose by two points. It's no big deal. They'll go back and reassess, and they were competitive. And, you know, you've got two powerhouses. What I'm looking forward to, Steve, next week, you've got the Panthers on the back of a loss taking on the Storm, who are, who are in unbelievable form up in Magic Round, which I know you'll be at. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. wait for that. And uh, I, I know I sent you a text last week. Uh, that you can't believe that Melbourne continue to reinvent themselves. Like when they lose the big four, you look at the spine they've got now and it's, it's comparable, Buttes. I guess time will tell. But Harry Grant, every single club in the competition would want him. Parpenhausen at the back. Jerome Hughes, I love him. He's out of Palm Beach, Corumban. Uh, and they've got a pretty handy 5'8 as well, haven't they, in Munster. Uh, you know, just one of the superstars of the competition. You're right. It's absolutely phenomenal when you think about, you know, you can look at, you know, the spine that they had previously, Cooper Cronk, um, Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, and whoever they wanted to throw in there at 5'8, it made no difference because, you know, with those three guys, you know, you're in business, right? But ultimately, this spine they've got now, whilst they're, you know, they're establishing themselves in the game, they're still going to go down as one of, uh, you know, a very, very good spine. No comparisons to the previous one, but their results will be just as good, if not better. And that, for me, is one of the most important things for the Melbourne Storm. It's phenomenal what Craig hey, uh, Bellamy has, has been able to do. Hey, Butes, just back to Parramatta, no coincidence, Dylan Brown goes back to 5'8", and they get the job done last night. Yeah, look, I, I've got to say, I think Brad Arthur will look back on the last three weeks and realise he may have erred in his decision to put his son at 5'8". And again, you know what, I, I heard Mitchell Moses during the week just saying that 
they had no other options. You know, that with injuries uh, and suspensions and what have you, they really didn't have any other options. But it was pretty evident and clear that it wasn't the right uh, decision to make. Dylan Brown has proven and built a pretty good combination with Mitchell Moses. I think the team looks so much sharper when he's in at 5'8", and he's starting to develop his game and become one of those 5'8s in the game that is dangerous every time he gets the ball. And I think we've seen that with uh, Jerome Luai as well, Steve, uh, for Penrith. He was playing second fiddle to Nathan Cleary, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But his running game has gone to a whole new level now, and, and you've seen him score regularly this year. I think he's on four or five tries for the season already uh, because his impact is, is so much greater. And, and I think Dylan Brown is going down the same path. Hey, Butes, I've got two final questions for you. Now, out of all the guests that are here at Mingara today for the Coaches Conference, you wanted to speak to Brad McGee. Tell us why. Yes. Oh, look, you know what? I remember watching him throughout the Olympics, uh, throughout the Commonwealth Games and his performances. And you know what? Just um, the grit and determination these cyclists have. You see him go around and, funnily enough, I was at an event last week at a velodrome and you see the angle that these guys ride around those velodromes at and the speed in which they do it. It's absolutely phenomenal and gutsy and the motor that they have on them. And that really, you know, floats my boat. I just really want to tap into what he's about and, and what got him to the level he did. And so uh, I know I'll get there later this afternoon, but also tonight to get the opportunity to talk to Brad uh, will be bloody amazing. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, good stuff, mate. And just finally, uh, Moose and I will both talk about our mums on this show, Mother's Day tomorrow. What about uh, Mrs. Butner? Yeah, well, a shout-out to mum. She's uh, yeah, she's uh, at home at the moment. Obviously, dad passed a few years ago, so uh, doesn't have as much company as she'd like, but she's been amazing for me, brought me up, and, uh, and my two sisters, and, uh, you know, just love her to death. And she's uh, an amazing woman who's shown an incredible amount of strength over the last few years. Yeah, beautiful, mate. Beautiful. Uh, we're running late for our first break. Uh, shame you can't be here with us, but we look forward to catching up with you later on. Good on you, boys. All the best. Michael Butner joining us. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. We're live from Mingara, the 2022 Coach Conference with the Regional Academies of Sport. Back in a few moments, we'll uh, talk about the NBL Final Series. Sydney Kings off to a win, and then Brad McGee joining us at around 9.30. Kerry Pothast, Olympic gold medalist at 10 this morning. Brad Donald, coach of the Gillaroos, the Australian Women's Rugby League team at 10.30. Live from Mingara. Saturdays on the coast on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, welcome back. We're live at Mingara, the 2022 Coach Conference with the Regional Academies of Sport. There's already a seminar underway. Uh, tell us who's uh, Sean Eady is on at the moment. Who else is on stage? Yeah, well, you've got Sean Eady on stage, uh, Spencer Goggin and, and Sally Walker, all from uh, all from N-Swiss. They're one of the partners to the program. So the whole idea is that it's being moderated. We're using Mentimeter in the audience <laughs> so that the coaches can actually ask any questions in real time. And obviously, if all those questions can't be answered, then our, our uh, speakers will get back to us and we'll provide that uh, feedback to the delegates you know, 
next week. So really exciting, uh, really exciting uh, start to the program. A full day, obviously, Steve, but, uh, yeah, everyone's really hyped at the moment. Yeah, we're privileged to have you out here with us uh, in the foyer area at Mingara. Um, tell us more about Spencer and Sally who are on stage at the moment. So Spencer's talking specifically about moving from a, from a regional academy into the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Yeah, well, see, he he was a, um, a former rugby league player and then he moved into uh, strength and conditioning training uh, with rugby. So again, we have a number of our coaches with that real sports science, S&C focus. Um, and then Sally, obviously, she's been at the 2000 Olympics. She's a dietitian. She's been the lead dietitian um, with the Australian Olympic team, the comms team. She's been with NSWIS for over 10 years. So just that depth of knowledge in the dietitian space, the dietary space, so critical for, uh, you know, emerging coaches to understand that. And Sean Eady, a bit like Brad McGee, is a, he's an NSWIS uh, track sprint coach in cycling. Um, you know, he's, he's been um, a bronze medalist at Olympic Games level. So he's bringing both that knowledge of being an athlete and transferring that knowledge into the coaching ranks. And again... We have a lot of our coaches in that room that have that type of background, not to that level, potentially. So you've got a, a really nice mix on stage as we speak right now. If you were asking me to say one word about Sean Eady, what do you think it would be? Tough. Yeah, close. Powerhouse. Yeah, a bit like Brad McGee. I mean, you can't, you can't maintain that level of performance without having that resilient, tough mindset and then how you go about ensuring that you will always be a contender. Uh, and I, I think that's what... It'll be interesting to hear Brad talk about that when, when he sits here as well. But, you know, to be at the top of, that, of any sport for such a long time, I think it's just that element of resilience and how they go about it. That's a really great lesson to, uh, to hear. Have a guess. I'll just cover my notes. Have a guess what speed Sean Eady got to when he won the world championship in the sprint. Uh, this is a guess. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, uh, yeah, look at your cheeky grin. <laughs> you've set me up. You, yeah. you weren't meant to do this. I'd well, say 75, 80. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've gone a little high. I, I think his top speed was 67 kilometres an hour. Well, that wasn't too bad. On a push bike, yeah, yeah, in the velodrome. So uh, with the team pursuit, we'll talk about that. I think they average just over fifty. Uh, you know, it's still amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And uh, pedal power, pedal power. <laughs> yeah. And can you imagine the work they've got to do to generate that kind of force and the torque? You know, it, it is amazing. Hence, obviously, why we've got the strength and conditioning cohort in the room to learn those the tricks of the trade that it yeah. just give you that edge in uh, in competition. Hey, you had your head buried in the box scores. Uh, so, what are you taking out of last night? I'll scroll down again in a sec. But Sydney Kings get the job done in Game One of the NBL final. Series. By the way, this is on ESPN. You can catch it all on KO, and they're proud supporters of Saturdays on the Coast. 95-78, the Kings at home. I've got a feeling, Moose, they could sweep this series, but it's going to be tough in Tassie. What are you seeing out of the box scores? Well, I think the bench points are, are critical, and I'm I'm a fan of, of Clark. He came in and replaced uh, a fellow called RJ Hunter. And I just felt that that was, I mean, you don't wish anyone an injury, but that was a good fortune injury for the Sydney Kings. They replaced Hunter with Clark. 
he's got far better um, pedigree in the sport, and, and his contribution last night I thought was probably equivalent to uh, Xavier Cooks to just provide that greater depth, greater scoring, too many scoring options that Sydney have against the uh, Jack Jumpers. What so he has 17 in 25 minutes off the bench, Se- seven of 10 field goal attempts. Yeah, I mean he's got that NBA pre- pedigree. He's he's not shy if he's going to pull the trigger as soon as he's open, and. Uh, that's what Hunter didn't provide them, that just that extra spark off the bench. And uh, he, he's a bit of an X factor, as is Xavier Cooks. And 14 minutes for our man, Matty Kenyon, who played with the Jack Jumpers. Yeah, Matty, I mean, again, I watched a bit of the game. I didn't see all of it. But, um, you know, I'm a fan of Matt Kenyon. I could tell when he was a young kid coming through the Academy of Sport that he's pretty special. Uh, so to see him starting for this club... Uh, you'll see more of him. He's more now a lockdown defender. <laughs> He's got his job cut out trying to stop Jalen Adams, but I saw he went down with a potential injury. So it'll just be interesting to see how game two goes, but uh, I'm with you. I think it'll be done in three. Yeah. Uh, tell us your thoughts just about the Jack Jumpers on their season. Well, I think they had their grand final last week. Um, yeah. You know, to, to get over Melbourne after being down 1-0, and the first game, they were absolutely flogged. <laughs> there's, no, there's no other way to, to describe it. Uh, to then have a, a really tight win in Game 2 and then to beat Melbourne in Melbourne for Game 3, if that's not their grand final, I don't know what is. So to get up after that, to come into Sydney, hostile environment, full house last night in Sydney uh, at Kudos. Uh, yeah, they got their work cut yeah. out, but they've had a great season. Yeah, look great on TV, no doubt about it. And uh, before I forget, we've got to say about winning time, about the LA Lakers. <laughs> oh, loving every minute of that. It is so good. Hey, we're off to the news and uh, have a look who's alongside oh, us. No. Okay. You talk about standing ovations. We should, we should get up and uh, yeah. we're the, very fortunate. The word legend, it's tossed around far too often, but the next guy that's about to join us fits that category well and, well and truly. Olympic gold medalist Brad McGee coming up next on Saturdays on the Coast. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good morning. We're live at Mingara. The text line 0477 736 736. The McDonald Jones Homes open line. We love these guys and plan your dream home today with McDonald Jones. The open line 1342 What were your thoughts of Thursday night footy? If you're a Rabbitohs fan, uh, give us your thoughts. Uh, going down to the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, Canberra bounced back last night. Uh, what a derby it was, the Western Sydney derby with Parramatta bouncing back. Uh, Brad McGee is fist pumping here. <laughs> Parramatta bounced back, wow, after being flogged by the North Queensland Cowboys. Oh, I suspect Brad's a, a, an Eels fan, <laughs> seal, clearly. Yeah, they true, win 20, true and true, yeah. 22-20. Hey, time for a standing ovation. Uh, uh, this man, gold yeah. medalist in Athens. A lot of people would say Athens is maybe the greatest Olympics of all time. Uh, you could find an argument about Sydney, but so many people loved Athens. Come on, guys. You, you're embarrassing me now. You've got <laughs> yeah. to sit down. Uh, waiting for someone to come don't in. Forget, do I have to get up to? He wore the leader's jersey. He's very humble. In all of the grand tours. 
So, you know, put that in perspective. Uh, well, hence the yellow is his favourite colour. Yeah, it's a, a standing <laughs> ovation. Brad McGee, OAM, uh, welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. My pleasure, Steve and uh, Moose. Are we, are we going with Moose? Because yeah. no one knows your real name. <laughs> no, the, I don't have one. <laughs> I can talk about that later, but yeah. I'll go with Moose. If you say Ian, it means I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to the Central Coast. Uh, have you spent much time up here over the years? Look, my daughter spent two years up here um, before moving on to university, and we we got to know the coast um, with some friends up there at the entrance and just driving along the coast this morning you know to here is just stunning I, I live in the bush a bit down in southern highlands and some of these like small acreage you know just just inside from the coastline are just absolute gold i, I can't i can't deny it i was looking at a few for sale signs and i'm like whoa I might have a look at that yeah well you get a lot of bang for your buck if you're sold in the southern highlands and yeah. moved up here hey, we'll talk a lot about uh, your career obviously but you were fist pumping for Parramatta. absolutely i am and, and actually we had this conversation last night um spencer is up there talking now on the, on the panel um he was amazed like you know why Parramatta? and i had to tell him you know well i'm born in wentworthville i've trained in Parramatta park i'm a life member of the Parramatta cycling club and i was you know in that very impressionable age when para was actually winning so uh <laughs> <laughs> and last night was just absolutely gold you know they they tend just to rise for the big ones and let it slip when it's apparently uh, going to be a bit easy. So, yeah, some frustrations there. When they were winning, 81, 82, there 83, yep. and 1986. It was a very special time. It was when my dad would move the TV into the living room from the TV room. That was like, whoa, this, <laughs> this is a special occasion. This is a special occasion. What about favourite players? <laughs> oh, look, yeah, who was it? Yeah, um, Cronin, Kenny. Um, Pricey. Uh, Pricey. Uh, the story is that my parents actually met in uh, Pricey's old man's backyard. Uh, my father was apparently <laughs> holding up one of the... Um, uh, the clotheslines, you know, in, a, in backyard barbecue, that sort of thing. So, you know, there's a, there's a bit of uh, history in there. And, um, you know, you, oh, we just, every year I say it, but this has got to be the year, Para. Come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> after last night, you've got to start to believe again. Yep. Uh, after last week in the top end, mm. you maybe think that uh, might not be Parramatta's year. Hey, so have you met Michael Butner? I don't believe I have. Well, Butes is looking forward to yeah. spending a yeah. bit of time. We'll, <laughs> I look we'll warn to, you yeah. on, on air. He's we'll, looking forward to spending a bit of time with you yeah. this afternoon and tonight. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, we yeah. should come up with a signal where you want to escape from Butes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one thing Butes did say a few moments ago on the show, he'd like to find out about your backstory. Mm. Like, we see the gold medals, but you mentioned about where it started, life member of Parramatta Cycling Club. So uh, tell us more about those early days. So um, the McGee boys, I'm one of four, the youngest, the baby boy. Um, essentially, we're just into everything, um, every sport going. And my two elder brothers were very talented in you know, golf, tennis, squash, all that sort of stuff. My, young, uh, my, my closest sibling, Rod, we were sort of a little bit taller, a bit leaner, a bit more endurance orientated. So everything was a game. Every, you know, there was footy in the backyard, cricket, you know, everything. Out in the front, um, we'd make up obstacle courses and have BMX chasing races and you know, it was literally go bananas until the, the street lights come on and uh, get home before mum gives us a cracking because, you know, it's getting dark. So, Brad, that, like, that was early days. Yeah. During, during those formative years, years you, what's a training day look like for you? What did that look like when you were a young? Yeah, young I, was, I was very, uh, I've got, I got to say, you know, one of a better term, very well managed um, as a young fellow. I wasn't allowed to train until a certain age. I was about 15 until I did any official formal training or had was a training program. Was that your coach? So my dad was my first coach. Uh, didn't last long. As soon as I could <laughs> beat him up a hill, he's like, we've got to find you a real coach. <laughs> yeah, dad's going fishing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so enter JB, um, John Beattie. Um, you know, rest in peace, JB, but he was absolute gold um, as a pure club coach, 100% dedicated to the cause, 
fully, you know, the time commitment that he made, and reflecting back now, I just thought it was a given. You know, just for him to find the time of what he put in as a club coach and, and the level of coaching and just the accuracy of his coaching, depending on the needs, was absolutely spot on. So now in your role with N-Swiss, looking after coaches, do you reflect back on the John Beattie lessons, how absolutely. you coach your own cohort of people? Yep, I've got JB's photo there at my desk at N-Swiss um, nice. as a constant reminder. Um, just, yeah, again, like it's, it's about adapting to the athlete's needs and knowing that. Um, it's not about you, the coach. It's about the athlete. If you talk to swimming coaches these days, in the old days, like back in the 1980s, it was all about volume. So mm. they do maybe up to 20 Ks per day. Has that changed in cycling? Were there yeah, absolutely, yeah. Big numbers back in the 80s and less look, now? Look, there was. I came through the Charlie Walsh days, you know, the AIS, and it was really just just numbers game. You know, we'd start every season with about 20-odd 20, 20 riders, and if there was five left at the end of the year to do world championships, you needed four in a reserve. Then he done, you know, for, you know, the job was done, and that was just the the culture at the time. Um, whoever survived was, you know, obviously pretty good. Yeah, Darwinian <laughs> theory comes through in the yeah, early days of coaching, but oh, uh, you just got to ask the question: how many, you know, how many quality bike riders and athletes did we lose through that system? So, what you're finding today in the professional ranks is that actually the volume has come right down, but it's really polarised training. So you're out there doing the, the really big long stuff or short and really punchy um, in that. And that's increasing the capabilities, increasing the, 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 the lifespan of athletes as well. I retired at 32, and that was about normal back then, um, after 10 years sort of on the, on the big circuit. Um, but these days, you know, they're, they're, they're going right through that. It's about halfway these days. Yeah, we'll look at Kelly Slater in surfing. There you go. <laughs> uh, Cameron Smith in rugby league. Uh, and Brad, what's a day at Entswiss for you look like? Like so my role now, I'm, I'm, I'm officially a coach advisor, um, for want of a better term, to be honest. I'm there to support our high-performance coaches. Um, I'm there to, to enable uh, and, and try to provoke some perspective and some, some thinking, stimulate some thinking in the coach just to get them reflecting on their practices. Um, and you know, that can be through conversation, that can be through video feedback, uh, etc. So, um, and I'm also there to, to connect coaches. So, um, you know, what we need is a platform for our coaches to practice and rehearse. You know, it's, it, yes, it's a performance when you're with the athletes, but, you know, where's the coach training come in for it? So that's largely my, my role now is to, to promote that. Hey, so, uh, Brad, sounds like you, a great gig. Uh, are you able to stay with us? For Absolutely. No yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, the doors have swung <laughs> yeah. open. Have and a look uh, at this. Look at this. It's just, um, how good is this? The regional academies... Honestly, Brad, I've got to ask you when we come back from the break, just what your thoughts are on this cohort of people in this room. Sure. Yeah, no, it is really, really exciting. It's yeah, I'll, I'll tell you another thing too, is a lot of them are giving us a wide berth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they know the way that I roll. That if, they come, if they come too close, they could be thrown onto the show at any given moment. This is Saturdays on the Coast, all thanks to our great partners and sponsors, Robson Civil Projects. We love those guys. Third generation business, Grant Robson, the main man, and they have been absolutely amazing. Sydney, the Central Coast, the Hunter Valley. They're also in Dubbo, so a great uh, organisation. Uh, you know them as well as yeah, I do. Yeah, they're a great, great local company. And, uh, you know, all credit to them because without them, this doesn't exist. So thank you very, very much, Robsons. Yeah, thanks to KO, also ESPN. They're great partners of the show as well. And also McDonald Jones Homes, the open line, 1300 42 15 33. Back in just a moment with a superstar, gold medalist from Athens, and the man that wore the leader's jersey in all of the grand tours, Brad McGee, OAM, will stay with us for the next break on Saturdays on the Coast.
Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, good morning. We're live from Mingara. Absolutely love this club, and it's the 2022 Regional Academies of Sport Coach Conference. And so many superstars here, including Olympic gold medalist Brad McGee, from Athens in 2004. Brad, my very next question is about 1984. So Los Angeles, I watched some grainy video Uh, footage last night and you've been quoted many times as saying, really, that's where the inspiration came from, including an 18-year-old, Dean Woods. Absolutely. Um, Woodsy, we've just lost Woodsy to the cycling and sporting and Australian community and um, we wish all the best for his family. What an outstanding human being and, and, and super talented young athlete. Um, but I remember specifically watching that uh, that event. I would have been, you know, um, all but eight years old. So uh, again, the old man, the Olympics. He brought the TV into the into the, in the, in the living room, so it was a special occasion. And we sat up and watched that that race. We didn't know the McGees didn't know much about cycling at that time, but it was very impressionable. And um, yeah, that. Uh, that, uh, that spiked something that didn't come to fruition until we got the goal back in, in 2004. That, you use that term, impressionable. How important is that for, for up-and-coming athletes to have that type of role model, personal, personal approach? Yeah, I don't think that will ever go away. Um, you know, uh, I can remember you know, visiting athletes to, to, uh, to school at primary level, and that was impressionable as well. I think, you know, the, I think just that... that understanding that athletes are young potential athletes are you know open um, uh, open books if you, if you like and what can we do about promoting that uh, and stimulating that that uh, that deep drive and motivation um, you know I think we can do things in, and rather than just uh, wait for it to happen by um, by chance it's a good question moose because I remember seeing an interview with oh, a speech from Kurt Fernley and he said one day on Australia day his dad dragged him into the lounge room and he said he quoted, I saw these gladiators in wheelchairs and suddenly there was hope for me. Oh, what a wonderful story there. Um, if anyone hasn't read uh, Kurt's book, I'd, I'd suggest you do. Um, and he, he, he details, you know, that, that moment that he just, you know, basically just unleashed, uh, you know, it just opened up his whole world um, to what was possible. Um, yeah, that's, that's what sport brought him. Also in that speech, he says a couple of things over and over. He said... I saw a teacher that believed I was more than an HSC mark. I saw a coach that thought I could be the best in the world and he was willing to be with me every step of the way. So who's the first person that believed in you? Um, I'm not going to say a person. I would say the Parramatta Cycling Club as a community. Um, well, that's a great story yeah. in itself. And it really was. It remains to today. And, you know, I... I uh, you know, I'm removed from the area now, but um, I recognise as I'm sort of ageing that, um, that it's time to give back, Brad, um, and promote you know the, the next gens coming through that club level. But it was the community of the Paramount Cycling Club built that belief. We were speaking a little bit off air, Brad, just about talent transfer, and you mentioned you know rowers looking at, at cycling. Just give us a touch o- on that type <laughs> of uh, element of of your role. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So you know what we we know is um, that young athletes sampling different sports you know as they're as they're generating um and and, and promoting their talents is is really uh can lead to that sort of ongoing long-term sustainable success 
up until very recently, I believed that was purely physical. You know, it kind of makes sense. If I'm doing multiple sports, I'm building up this robust physical nature, I'm going to be less likely and prone to injury, and I might get a bit stronger and more able to move in the gym, therefore performance benefits. But what's just come to my attention is it's actually sampling those different social environments is equally important to the growth and maturity of our young athletes. And so we can get, you know, that just opened my mind up. It doesn't need to be sport uh, orientated. It can just be moving around in these different groups. That said, you know, what we're talking about with rowing, um, you know, we've often been aware that rowers become very good bike riders. And, uh, you know, it's actually, you know, uh, I'm not even joking, but, you know, you, essentially you need to love pain in those sports. <laughs> um, you know, a very healthy relationship with pain at the least. Well, I've um, never seen a more painful finish to a race than when, I think it's Mahi Drysdale won. Uh, what a superstar, the Kiwi. And they just, uh, they just collapsed out of the boat afterwards. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, have you ever been like, in a boat? I, I do a bit of work with the sprint canoeists as well. And um, the fact that they can hold form and not fall in when they're under such load, the lactate must be just yes. coming through their eyeballs, their cross-eyed, you know. And they've got to hold form to, to maintain that pace. Yeah. Can you believe we haven't spoken about the Tour de France, the Giro d'Italia <laughs> or the Spanish Grand, Grand Tour? You wore the leader's jersey in all of those events. Actually, the Giro d'Italia started overnight, is that correct? It would have, yeah. I, actually, yeah, I didn't see the results. I better get on the yeah. cycling list. Yeah. <laughs> about to throw you under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, you've been quoted as saying that the Australians during that period were like a real family. Yeah. And also, when you're inducted into the Hall of Fame, you said about a brotherhood. And mm. a couple of words that I really love, you know, safe, encouraging environment. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, when I first turned pro, it was still very much a European sport. French was the main language, Italian second. Um, English was a distant, you know, um, uh, add-on at the time. It's taken over these days. It's very much changed. So the Aussie used to congregate down the back of the peloton, and there'd be some great yarns and stories, <laughs> and you know, and... And no one understood anything we were saying either. So it was like we had our own little bubble. Um, and it was just some fantastic times, you know. And uh, The racing is hard and tough, but there were those moments we could really connect and, and share a few stories. It was gold. I've often on this show spoken about just Australian sporting traits and why Australian sportsmen and women are so valued in, you mm. know, overseas teams. Same in your sport? Absolutely. And that, that sort of grew from there. And it, it, after a while, you know, through, definitely through my 10 or 11 years as a pro, you found a lot of the teams were engaging with at least a couple of Aussies to bring in that cultural piece that the Aussies tended to bring. It's, you know, you put in, you, it's, you, you deliver, you share. You know, it's, it's about the team first. And I think that's what the Aussies brought to these pro teams was, you know, that sense of team first and, and, um, and I second. What do you think builds that Australian culture in our sporting teams? Yeah, I don't know. I think back in the time, you know, catchphrases were like, you know, you, you put in, you you, you give, um, you know, I'm thinking of... It's that know, Anzac mentality, I think. I think so, yeah, just, you know, um, you know just that, that work ethic, you know, um, that sort of... Um, you, you actually come through a period of some of the greatest teams we've ever seen. So, mm. so yourselves, uh, you were talking about rowing. So mm. the awesome force Absolutely, uh, yeah. are coming through at the same time. Yeah. You know, Kerry Pothas just arrived, uh, along with uh, Natalie Now Cook. we can stand up. <laughs> oh, yeah, another, another standing O <laughs> coming yeah, up yeah, straight absolutely. away. Well, let's not forget our rugby league team, our rugby union team, mm. through, through that period as well. So, mm. you know, you guys are on that platform as arguably, well, don't even argue, yeah, the greatest it. teams we've ever produced. Mm. And it was a great era for Australian sport. And, and I just think those cultural <laughs> elements transport across those different teams as well. well. Well, it's one of the beauties of having you back at the coalface. I think the thing is to recognise, and if you don't mind, I'll just reflect on our recent Tokyo experience. Um, 
I feel we we started to get back there. Certainly in the in the in the environment I was in with road cycling there at Mount Fuji area. Um, what if you ask a lot of non-Australians, in, in particular our New Zealand cousins, um, what's what's wrong with the Aussies in sport? They'll tell you we're too competitive. And my, my reflection going into Tokyo and coming out was, you know, because of the the COVID uh, pandemic and the extension, you know, we're actually, you know, the group I was with, we we're just really happy to be there and actually get the chance to compete. We still competed bloody hard and we went for it and it was success. Um, but I dare say we actually enjoyed it a little bit more too. It was just that shift from it's all about the performance and performance only to actually just enjoying the, the experience, the journey, the people you were there with. Yeah, and that smell was the roses yeah. on the way. So yeah. we've had that in the past and I think somewhere along the lines we've got overawed with the, the need to perform and, and win. And, and rather than just recognise that you're connecting and, and engaging with people, building relationships and experiencing things together. Hey, uh, we're on our way to the news. Uh, do you want to stay and be a part of the uh, conversation with Kerry Pothas? I will would... stay for the standing ovation, absolutely, <laughs> and, and wherever else you'd like me to, to contribute. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's so awesome to meet you this morning. Uh, I'm a but bit... Steve, how humble. Yes. Your CV in sport, what you're doing now with the up-and-coming coaches, the time you're committing back to the sport, yet you're still so very humble. We just are very privileged that you're here with us at this conference. Yeah, my pleasure. And, um, yeah, I think there's some really exciting things to come out of this conference. Um, as, you know, I, I can see more of, of this, this type of engagement. That's definitely the way forward. We're running late yet again. Uh, <laughs> Saturday's <laughs> on the coast on SEN. News is next. And then we're back with Brad McGee and also another Olympic gold medalist from Sydney 2000, Kerry Pothast. OAM is next. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au Welcome to Saturdays on the Coast. Live this morning at Mingara for the 2022 Regional Academies of Sport Coach Conference. Alongside me, Ian Moose-Rebilliard, the main man from the Central Coast. Uh, basketball legend, of course, with the Sydney Kings. And we've had Brad McGee on. Wow, as if that wasn't good enough. So gold medalist from Athens. Have a look who's uh, to the left of me at the moment. An absolute superstar. Normally I do a standing O, but right now it's not a standing ovation. <laughs> I'm just bowing at the feet of Kerry <laughs> Potter. And we'll do the standing O. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How my, awesome. My I get goodness. to sit down and, and you guys just all like kneel in front of me. Can I have some caviar? And... <laughs> And uh, maybe wave like one of those uh, kind of feather boa kind of things. Oh, yes. And feed me some grapes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, so recently we've seen you on SAS Australia, but I tell oh. you, I, I've got to start at the 2000 Olympic Games on the sand. I watched that footage again today and you know, I had a tear in my eye watching it. <laughs> the, the way you guys collapsed, you're, you're up against the Brazilians who had a record that was absolutely amazing yeah, against they, you guys. They had won every event, I believe, right up until the Olympics for the two years leading into the 2000 Games. So they were the, definitely the number one, the hot favourites, the gold medal favourites. And we'd played them 17 times and we'd won one time. And it was only three months before the Games that we won that event. So the very next week they beat us back. But it was just that little bit of taste. The door opened a little bit for us, and we believed. That was the last little bit that made us believe that we could do it. Yeah, I want to talk more about that, but let's just backtrack, because did they knock you out of Atlanta, the Brazilian team? 
a Brazilian team, but not those girls, yeah. So we beat one of the girls that knocked us out in Atlanta. We beat her in the semi-final in Sydney. So we got a little bit back yeah. on one of them. Yeah, now that's unlike any event we've ever seen. So I think it may have been the first event at the 2000 Games and it bursts on our TV screens <laughs> and everyone's going, this is incredible. What is this with all the drums and <clears throat> the music and the sand and the dancing? And yeah, it's a pretty emotional uh, type of environment. It's the culture of our sport to have a lot of music. Still at the Olympic Games, they pump the music, you know, between points, and it's just what we're used to. Well, it yeah. just it looks like that amphi- amphitheater is just a party. You know, I liken <laughs> it to the Phoenix Open where they have that cauldron hole. You know, the par three. And I can still reflect back, and I could only imagine what it was like for you walking into that gold medal playoff, uh, that gold medal game. Well, I don't know if you can imagine how bloody nervous we were. <laughs> well, it was the first match, actually, that we walked out onto the sand in Bondi Beach. That was the the most freaky um, moment where, you know, 10,000 people, you walk in and they just, they come off their seats and they're screaming at the top of their voice and, like, literally, we're just frightened, <laughs> frightened out of our bikinis. We nearly lost our first match. We nearly lost it because we is, were so nervous. Is it true that uh, yourself and Natalie, you actually kind of spent a few years apart after Atlanta and then regrouped. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, after Atlanta, we thought we were, you know, the bee's knees and we were so good because we'd brought home a medal, a bronze medal. Um, and we started to not train as hard and, and probably not put in as much effort. And we started, our results went backwards a little bit. So we split up for a short time. We thought we could do things better with other people. And then Natalie really, I guess, matured in a sense because she's 10 years younger than me in that time. And I played with a girl who was more my age and and maturity level, well, not maturity, but leadership level. So I kind of settled into a a more of a uh, relaxed kind of partnership. And Natalie came up and, you know, we were peers by that point. But before that was Kind of like I was the big sister, she was the little yeah. sister. Can I quote something before you go, Moose? And it's uh, Denzel Washington. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Ooh. And, and Ease is one. a greater threat to progress than hardship. Yeah, well, I mean, Brad was talking about this, that, you know, sometimes the focus is too much on just on the winning. By the sound of what you did, moving away from, from that, provided you probably a, a, a clearer focus on what you wanted yeah. out of your sport? Well, we both, I think we both kind of changed in that time. Um, and we we came to the point where by the time we got back together, we were perfect together. Whereas before that, it was a bit lopsided. I was kind of the leader, the coach, the, the big sister, everything. And it got too much for our team. I was getting too bossy. Natalie was not handling that as well. She was maturing as an athlete and we just won a bronze medal. So, you know, she wanted some... I guess, some leadership ability there too. So the fact that she played with somebody who was less experienced gave her that opportunity in that year. And then, yeah, the moment we came back together, we literally just looked at each other. We were warming up for an event in France and we looked at each other and just went, we're home. This is it. It was just, we knew that moment was it. Yeah, and I mean, that must be a very special reunion. Yeah, it was It was fantastic. We ended up finishing second on the world tour that event and it only happened because a couple of the other Aussie girls had injuries so they had to go home and and fix their injuries which kind of shook up the teams and so we had that opportunity we just looked at each other and said now or never 
Well, with the world tour, I mean, obviously you spend a lot of time in hotel rooms. Just give us a snapshot of that, the, the travel. <laughs> well, there was this one time where I remember we were discussing a particular loss and, yeah, things were getting quite heated between Natalie and I. I remember getting up off the bed and walking to the bathroom and I turned around and she's right there next to me and I just thought we were going to almost have a punch-up, you know. So things can get really heated because there's just two of you. There's no substitutes. And, um, yeah, we, we found a lot of ways, and I'm going to talk about those today in the conference. We found a lot of ways to really work together as a team. Um, and we, we did that with our coaches. We had three coaches. We had a volleyball coach, a conditioning coach, and a mindset coach. Yeah, what I, what I find amazing is Brad said earlier about a safe, encouraging environment in cycling. What you're saying is at times it's very volatile. <laughs> Absolutely, because, I mean, you know, Brad, you've got your, your bike. It doesn't answer back. <laughs> Natalie does, and so do I. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be, but it can also be absolutely amazing. And, you know, we worked really, really hard in those two years leading up to the Sydney Games on every part of our, our relationship, our game, everything. We just we ticked every box and dotted every I, crossed every T. We didn't leave anything to chance. So we, we were we, – we got to the point where – we were Olympic gold medalists before we played that match because yeah. we had to be. Let's not forget, too, that these are two women that have had to be self-promoters. So yep. at every single level to promote their sport, to they used to go to the media and say, hey, come and, come and watch us. Yeah, Because absolutely. the media weren't going to them. Yeah. Uh, it's what I've spoken about a long time, particularly for regional areas. I think sports and athletes have got to be proactive to further their career. Well, we found that actually just talking to Natalie off 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 air, you know, how how we uh, carry, sorry, how we um <laughs> get it all the time, Steve. <laughs> oh no, that's moose. Yeah. <laughs> just how we can build the numbers in the sport because you know, you go back to Sydney 2000, you really you guys put the sport on the map but it's still a struggle to get the actual mm. talent depth we need in the sport. So how do we yeah. go about that? I think it starts in the schools, absolutely, and in the regions, of course, because that's where, you know, the passion for the sport. That's where I started in school, you know, and that's where I got the passion. I was actually six foot tall already at 15 and quite awkward and, and self-conscious. And when I found volleyball, I found my home. I was like, oh, everyone else or people like me because I'm tall in this environment and maybe I can be book really good at this sport. And wow. Yeah, and that's, that's actually the reason I started playing volleyball. I, I tell you, you sound just like Nicola McDermott, who's oh, here okay. later on today. So Nicola, 25, won silver in the high jump in yep. Tokyo. Her coach, Matt Horsner, will be here. But Nicola was bullied at school or earlier in her life because she's so tall. Yeah, so, yeah. And oh, I, know, I know you had the same thing. Yeah, so. and I have a funny last name, Pothast. You take the H and the T out and there's a pot and a bum name. Yeah, so I got teased, you know, for being a, a German migrant, you know, child from a German migrant family and, you know, being tall. And then I was sensitive on top of that. So it affected me and I'd cry. And yeah, so when I found volleyball, it was just the best thing ever. Are you saying you're a Cancerian? I am. <laughs> How did you know that? Hey, uh, by the way, uh, your first, the very first time you went to volleyball, 
you were like an added extra with your brother. That's right. You, he didn't even want you on court. No, no, no. He said to me, Kerry, we've got this game of social volleyball. Can you just fill in? He said, we have to have six people between the lines on the court. And when the whistle blows, just get out of the way so we can play each point. But we need you to be that sixth person. So Spare that's will. Yeah. And at the end of it, he was the one that kind of said to me, wow, well, yeah, you, you might be all right at this sport. Do you want to come to my club team? And then as soon as the club team saw me tall, six foot skinny and went, yeah, we'll teach you how to play. And then I was really fortunate. I had great coaches uh, in Adelaide where I grew up, really good coaches, and that was the key. That was absolutely the key to my success. Kerry, probably the same question I asked Brad earlier. Do you now reflect back on those lessons that those early coaches had on you? 100%. And I, when I'm coaching, I do the same thing. Uh, so I had a really, I had a tough love coach, my one of my state coaches, and she was a national team player before she became the coach. And yeah, she was Sue Dancy in Adelaide, and she was absolutely tough love, and that's kind of what I become became when I was coaching as well. You know, I I have fun with my players, but at the same time, I expect that you know I'll crack the whip on them. And we had this drill. We called it the blue lip drill. She would keep us running around the court, diving for balls, just one person at a time, throwing the balls everywhere until literally your lips went blue. And then it was, okay, switch, next person. You, uh, you're, you're a genuine hero of mine and always have been. Oh. <laughs> so I love watching you on SAS Australia. You're number 13. Oh, I, that was the only number. When they gave me that number, I reckon my heart just dropped. I just went, why do I have to be the unlucky 13? So you're flying the flag, not, yeah. not just for women, but for middle-aged Australians. Uh, yeah, we love watching you in action, and you're so mentally tough, and your body is breaking down on oh, you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell us about that experience. Look, it was it was something that I couldn't ignore when I Yana Pittman actually sent me a text message I woke up one morning and she got up early obviously and said it was about 7 a.m said you know they're looking for a, another female retired athlete to fill the the last couple of spots um, there's 11 weeks before we we start you know we go on course and I actually wrote out like no that's ridiculous I'm too old I'm broken I can't do it and then I sat with it for a sec I sat in that that moment and I was just lying there in bed going oh god if I say no to this I'm never going to get asked again and what an opportunity and I've got 11 weeks maybe I can train and then my mind just started going and I'm like I started working out my training program within 24 hours I'd written down every single person that I needed to work with from physios through to nutritionists you know where I would eat how many times I'd train what I'd needed to do to train to you know, to, to help with my knees. And it was just, yeah, it, it was just such an incredible opportunity, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, yeah, it's a great show. Uh, I think you learn a lot from it. And speaking of Yana, like, you know, it's, it's devastating that sometimes the media portrays athletes and they spin this narrative. And I, I feel like that happened to Yana. It did early on in her career, absolutely. Someone, she got really hammered. So, such an amazing athlete yeah. and so driven. She's and so driven. Yeah, and look at what she's done now. So I'm glad oh. that she has flipped the script. Oh, she was incredible on the course. She wasn't just there for herself. She was there for everybody as well. She was a real team player because of her her um, medical background. She was helping everyone with injuries, and boy, we had a lot of them. <laughs> she was, like, fixing us up in triage every day after each um, each particular activity we had cuts and grazes and yeah it was all happening but she was amazing and she made it through to the last day unfortunately she didn't get picked she was a bit disappointed um but she yeah she's a beast yeah hey uh, can you stay with us <laughs> absolutely can, for one more break okay
Yeah. Uh, how good is this, Moose? P- pinch me. <laughs> no, but what I'm looking forward to, you'll, you'll be coming back and talking to the coaches on setting up a high-performance mindset for, for young athletes. And, I mean, what a takeaway that'll be. Yeah. Kerry Pothast with us, OAM, Olympic gold medalist in Sydney 2000. Brad McGee still here, Olympic gold medalist from Athens. Wow, what a superstar. And uh, wore the, the, the leader's jersey in all of the grand tours. Uh, you know, the Tour de France, the Giro d'Italia, also in Spain, absolutely. He's shaking his head. Well, the reality is I borrowed those jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely was wasn't humble. wearing them into under the Champs-Élysées <laughs> at the end of three weeks. Yeah. Usually after day one? Oh, a couple of days at best, and then it was yeah, back into the, into the pack and just <laughs> hang on. Hey, I also want to talk to you before the end of the show. We've got some young cyclists from the Central Coast who went to Brisbane recently. Mm-hmm. Three young girls. 10 gold medals on offer. Wow. Central Coast cyclists win eight of them. Mm. Uh, one of the superstars is a girl called Lilia Tataranov, mm-hmm. and her dad's her coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty exciting for a bunch of under-16 female cyclists on the Central Coast to perform at that level. So we'll talk more about that as the show unfolds. This awesome. is uh, Saturdays on the Coast on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, indeed you are. This is Saturdays on the Coast. And thanks for your company on 801 and, of course, all the SEN apps as well. We're going to hand back over now to Steve Allen and the crew having a lot of fun out there, guys. Yeah, we certainly are. Thanks, Adam, back at headquarters. And, uh, by the way, everything this morning is on the Catch-Up podcast, so simply go to the SEN app. Uh, we're here with Moose Rebilliard, OAM, Kerry Pothast, Olympic gold medalist from Sydney 2000 in the beach volleyball. Hey, before we talk about what you're hoping for today, you mentioned about people seeing the sport and identifying talent. We were down at Manly last weekend and we were also there over the Easter weekend, did a couple of ocean swims. And when you walk along uh, the Manly Esplanade, there's a lot of eyeballs seeing beach volleyball. There's all nets set up there. And I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of sports don't have that opportunity, do they? So it's right there on your doorstep. Yeah, and the funny thing is it's right there on your doorstep, yet we still fight for sponsorship dollars. We still fight for funding, you know, through the Sports Commission and everything. It's really difficult. It it is one of the most popular sports on the Northern Beaches for sure. We have, I don't know, about eight permanent courts on weekends. They set up another 10 or 12 temporary courts and the beach is just covered with people learning how to play beach volleyball from all ages. It's a real social sport and a great lifestyle sport. And I think over COVID, with so many people on the Northern Beaches specifically staying home, they needed something to do at lunchtime. Well, you know, living on the Central Coast, one of one of our greatest natural assets is our, the, the beach environment. But you don't see a lot of beach volleyball courts set up and you'd go, come on, Central Coast Council, here's a great opportunity just to get it, get kids active, get people active. And if you go to Hawaii or places like that, it just California. seems to be entrenched yeah. in yeah. their uh, psyche. It is. And again, it starts in schools because obviously in America, there's big um, high school uh, indoor and beach volleyball followings and culture and then it just grows from there and the Australian AVP which is the the professional beach volleyball tour runs all around the country so you know it's 
it's got a massive culture. America and Brazil are the two biggest countries, or they always have been, but now all the rest of the world is catching up. But for us to keep catching up, we need more courts. Exactly, Moose. We need more courts on beaches around the country. And they're so easy to put up. You just, you know, people can bring their own net even. As long as we got the posts up, we're good to go. Yeah, I say that about a sport that I love that both my kids play, and that's water polo. Like, yes. uh, I, I believe, like, in parts of Europe, uh, on the Mediterranean, you'll see water polo goals, like soccer goals, and so people are exposed to the sport. Hey, can you share the story you just told us off the air? Because I've got a coaching business where I help people with their public speaking and presenting. Now, the night before the gold medal game, what happened? So... A few days after the Olympics, we were asked that question. So a journalist asked Natalie and I, what were you thinking the night before? And Natalie just said, look, I barely slept. I was awake all night. And I said, oh, yeah, so was I. And that was the first time we'd discussed it because we're sleeping in the same room, obviously, and we tried not to keep each other awake. We needed to get some good rest before the gold medal match. And then the journalist said, well, so you're awake all night. What were you thinking? And Natalie said, I was actually practicing my victory speech. And I looked at her and said, so was I. (laughs) And so for me, that was the proof that we had so much belief that we were going to win that day. Everything we had done, everything I'm going to talk about today at the conference, everything we had done led to that point where we had 100% belief that we were going to take it out the next day. But in, in... any case, we were going to play our absolute best, our, our gold medal best on that day, um, and it was like the you know the really the final piece of the puzzle was the belief. But to be able to look past that big moment at that point was the supreme confidence. You know, we we knew what was going to happen after. We kind of already painted the picture of what was going to be, happen after that point. I mean, to be so closely aligned with Natalie the night before and then obviously the result you had, you know, it doesn't happen by chance. And you were saying that the Brazilian team had beaten you, I think, 16 of the 17 games, you know, so you must still hold that so treasured uh, in your in your repertoire. Yeah, absolutely. Look, those two girls from Brazil were incredible. They had led the tour. They were teaching us how to play, basically, uh, for many years leading up to that. And, and, you know, I'm really sorry that they didn't get the gold medal. They've played again in the, pre- in the next Olympic Games and came second again. Uh, so never, they never got an Olympic gold medal together. They'd won every other event. They'd won so many, so much prize money over the years, but they didn't get that coveted gold medal. But we... I believe what won us that gold medal wasn't because we were in front of Australian crowd. That nearly derailed our gold medal. It was because of our belief on that day. Yeah, yeah. I often think that maybe the home court advantage was that little edge that, that you guys had, but seriously, no, that it wasn't. No, it definitely wasn't. It derailed our men's team at the time. They really freaked out and lost their first match, and that just put them on a, a road to disaster. They were hoping to do a lot better. I think they finished ninth or something, but they were hoping to do much better than that. So, uh, Brad earlier, Brad McGee, he spoke about maybe retiring too early. How about for you? I don't want to say how old. I, <laughs> no, I, I went to. I kept going and going yeah, and going yeah. and going. I don't want to say how old you were when you won. That's all right. 35. Yeah. I was 35 when we won. I'm 56 now. I'm almost 57, believe it or not. Um, can't. Yeah, I can't even. Yeah, I still feel like I can go out there and play, but my body won't let me. I've had seven knee surgeries, so I can barely run across the street if the car if a car's coming. <laughs> so do, don't run me over. Do you ever get asked who's the greatest of all time in beach volleyball? 
Oh, I would know that. That would be Kerry Walsh and Misty May in the women's. Absolutely. They won three Olympic gold medals, the three previous to ours. Oh, sorry, the three after ours. So they won Athens, Beijing and London. And then Misty retired. In between that, Kerry had two kids. So Kerry, the same name as me, same spelling, which is pretty pretty unusual. Two Kerrys of gold medals in beach volleyball. Um, but yeah, Kerry Walsh, Misty May, they had an incredible career, long-running career. Yeah, I find this interesting too that even way back then, you're fighting the good fight for women's sport. So are you happy with the way that beach volleyball's evolved? And, and I'm sure you're happy with the way that women's sport in Australia has evolved. Oh, it's great to see women's sports um, getting more airtime. However, I rarely do read the paper these days because everything's online, right? But I did have the paper a couple of times and I was still really disappointed to see that there was one tiny, tiny article about netball and it's only ever netball, no other women's sport, and all the rest of it is men's sport. So still really disappointed about that, but it's great to see cricket and football and AFL, you know, AFL all those rugby, everything is bringing in women's competition and really going strong. But Natalie and I had to fight a little bit of um, sexism, I guess, with our sport because people always pointing out, oh, you're playing in bikinis. But, but we're at the beach, that's the culture, that's how it grew in the world. And the other thing is people don't forget, remember... People don't remember. People don't forget. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> it Kathy, is early. <laughs> yeah, Kathy Freeman actually ran on the track in Sydney in the same outfit almost that we were playing in. Yeah. But she had shoes on. What's the difference? Why do people always ask us, is it weird that we have to play in bikinis? Uh, gee, I, I love that you brought that up because, uh, yeah, we haven't even gone down that path. You said that you're so in your own lane at the Olympics. We've got to go to the news, so let's discuss it afterwards. But you're so in your own lane that you hardly even see your other teammates during that period. Uh, this is Saturdays on the Coast with Kerry Pothast, Olympic gold medalist. We've had Brad McGee on the show as well. It doesn't get much better on a Saturday morning. Back in just a moment after the news on SEN. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, welcome back. We're live at Mingara and just loving this show this morning. It's the Coaches Conference 2022, the Regional Academies of Sport. Huge thank you to Ian Moose Rebilliard, OAM, who's joining us, filling in for Michael Butner. And everywhere you look, there are superstars. Paul Smith is coming up soon, the Sydney Kings owner. We've had Brad McGee on the show, gold medalist from Athens in 2004, and the legendary Kerry Pothast, OAM, who won gold in Sydney in 2000, also joining us this morning and, and filming me at the moment or filming herself. No, I'm filming <laughs> you, Steve. <laughs> I'm all about social media, right? And, I mean, while we've got it, we've got to use it. And when we are in sports that are, I guess, you know, not as high profile of some, as some of, the, some of the other sports, I think it's important to just, you know, keep people reminded hey, of where we're at. You were saying just a moment ago how much you love events like this because they're grassroots coaches who are... Yeah, hoping to be on a pathway maybe to Brisbane in 2032, but even if they move from regional areas to the New South Wales IES, then that's a huge achievement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the important part is is the influence that they're going to have on those young athletes that are coming out of the Central Coast, but out of any area. You know, I was so um, lucky when I was young. I had some great state team coaches, club team coaches in Adelaide, and that really set me on my path. Are you looking forward to seeing Michael Scott later on today? So involved with the British Olympic team, 
Uh, so they have an incredible London Games and then also involved with New Zealand uh, in their Perth pathway to Tokyo. Oh, it's fantastic to hear from other coaches and other athletes. I mean, I love, that's how I kind of got into speaking about my journey is because I got to listen to other people and went, wow, okay, so I, I love to share. I love to teach. I wanted to be a teacher before I became a full-time athlete. And so I, I love that I can teach people something and leave something behind and that I can also learn from other other speakers, other coaches particularly. What, what sports are you watching yourself at the moment? What do you love? <laughs> That's funny because I don't actually – I prefer to play sports yeah. <laughs> than, than watch them. Um, my partner at the moment is very much into rugby league, so I do end up having to sit on the sideline and, and watch a bit of that. <laughs> I went to an AFL match, Sydney Swans and Brisbane. Brisbane unfortunately beat the Swans last week. Um, but, look, I, I do love to watch other sports. I'm just starting golf, actually. He's teaching me golf, and apparently I've got a decent swing, so I'm looking forward to perhaps starting a new, new sporting career in my 50s. At the start <laughs> of this interview, you, you mentioned about you know, yourself and Natalie spent time apart. You came back together. There were volatile moments. You thought there was going to be a punch-up at one stage. <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> well, we've got it on the record. Oh, no. Yeah, look, there was definitely tough times. There's only two of us on the court. There's no substitutes. So we had to work really hard on our relationship, um, on the way we communicated together. We're two very different people, 10 years apart in age. So it was very difficult at times, but it was also amazing you know it was also amazing when we won when we were so we were so in sync on the court which I think was the most important part it didn't matter what happened off the court although we had to work on that but we were so in sync on the court we could almost read each other's minds and I think that's what made us such a great team you uh you're inducted into the international volleyball hall of fame you yes. fly to America for that event but you're also named as one of the two best teams of the decade yeah, what is, a special... Is that one of the proudest achievements? That is a really special achievement. Natalie and I were named with the Brazilians who we beat in Sydney because of our achievements in that decade, winning two Olympic medals. I guess they couldn't look past that. We actually only won a couple of other... We only won three other tournaments out of the probably, I don't know, 50... No, 90 or something that we'd played. We'd, we had many bronze and, and silver medals, but, you know, obviously... Getting the gold, it was it was something really difficult um, in those years. These days, there are there is such a depth of talent, so it's really difficult for our Aussies to even make it into the main events and then to try and get into the medal rounds. Yeah, I love what you say because really, it's like the holy grail. So it's so hard to win. I say this: you mentioned about rugby league. It's so hard to reach a grand final, let alone win it. Mm. So sometimes the semis are the hardest games you will ever play. I think the semis are the hardest games because that's where it can really do your brain in. That's where you can go, we win this, you know, we're in the, we're in the hunt for a medal at the Olympics. Uh, we lose this, we could finish fourth, which is nothing, you know. Well, I think we just saw that in, in the sport that I'm closely associated with, with basketball. You know, for Tassie to beat Melbourne in Melbourne in that semi the pressure just compounded on Melbourne and the mm. longer that game went on, the needle just kept moving towards Tasmania's favour. Yeah. Obviously, they're in the grand final. And speaking of basketball, we see the Australian team win a medal for the first time ever with, with Paddy Mills and the boys oh, in, beautiful, in, in, wasn't it? in Tokyo. So how, as an athlete and as a team, do you overcome the mindset of we're not playing for gold, but now we're fighting not to come fourth? Yeah, I think you can't think about that. That did us that did us under in Atlanta. We were in the semi-final in Atlanta. We were trying not to lose. 
Whereas in Sydney, the semi-final, we were just like, get out of our way because we're on the way to winning gold. Like the semi-final was just a stepping yeah. stone. Yeah. It's a, it, we were in a totally different mindset. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Love it. And even in that first set against the Brazilians, you guys are down. We were down both sets. We were down by m- multiple points. I think the most four points, and it wasn't rally point. It was you had to serve to win a point in those first two sets. If it went to a third, it would be rally, but we never let it go to a third. We won 12-11, 12-10. So we were down, but if I look at the video and I look at our faces, we didn't look like we were losing. We were just like, okay, next point. Okay, next point. What do we do? Next point, next point. And, um, you know, that was tough, and, and my serve was a big big like weapon did you serve for the match (laughs) i served the last two balls yeah the second to last was an ace it got us even uh got gave us match point and at that point like people have asked me what you what are you thinking going back to the line and i look again look at the video because it was so long ago and trying to remind myself of what i was thinking and you know i wasn't thinking anything and that was the key I was thinking a, a particular uh, strategy, as in I'm not going to go for the line this time. I'm going to drill it just as hard, but I'm going to go for the middle of the court because I know the risk is less. If I go for the line, I could go out. Yeah. So that was it. That's all I thought. I went back. I just did it, did but, my routine, did it. And I would think it. you would know that even without watching the video. I'm sure that is yeah. still so very crystal clear in your memory. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think this, the ace before that was almost harder than the last serve. The last serve was just like... Yeah, yeah, nail in the coffin. Is it always, I mean, sometimes when you reflect the great moments, it seems easy because you're in the moment. You're in in the zone, you know, and if somebody could actually one day sell that, (laughs) (laughs) they'd be a million trillionaire. How do you get in the zone? It's, It's a question everybody wants to feel and wants to know, and I don't think we were ever in the zone as much as we were in that match. But it took us five years. You know, and, I, and I, I, the Olympics before, the result we had, and the year or so before that that we had together, it took us that long to get to the point where we could be in the zone on that day. Yeah, and, and I'm you. guessing that's the messaging that you'll be sharing with, uh, with the coaches here today. Yeah, as long as they ask such great questions <laughs> that you've asked me this morning. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, just here we've taken up enough of Kerry's precious time. Uh, can we just uh, maybe talk about our mums before we forget to? Uh, so my mum, uh, Mandy Allen, listening on the Gold Coast. Oh, happy in, Mother's Day. She's our number one fan. And uh, over the years, I've realised, apart from just supporting all of us as, you know, athletes when we were younger and now as Masters athletes, she's also become like a, a bit of an aficionado, almost a Bruce McAvaney <laughs> of, of sport. Amazing. So, so she'll often text me at all hours of the day about her favourite events, and she loves Rafael Nadal, so she's, a, she's become a huge tennis fan. But Does she pick her undies out of her shorts and stuff <laughs> as well, <laughs> Rafa? It's uh, an interesting pre-shot routine, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I told her we were talking to Brad McGee, she sent me down a photo of him Aww. on the bike. Yeah, so lots of love, Mum, and uh, thanks so much for all your support. She came through the surf life saving period when Grant Kenny was at his absolute best and won the junior and senior Ironman. That was in 1980. So, uh, Amazing. Love you, Mum, and uh, I won't see you tomorrow, but uh, we'll do a FaceTime and uh, have a great day. Moose? Oh, well, my mum sadly passed away, but uh, Lurleen Rebilliard, uh, there were six of us, so uh, <laughs> I guess she was a... <laughs> how would I say this? Saturday, Sunday mornings, breakfast was always a sports wrap because we were so busy in sport. <laughs> Often... Um, 
you know, my, my brothers and sister, we'd be separated <laughs> depending on uh, the teams that we paired up with or, uh, or what have you. But uh, was a great lady in the, the uh, commitment she made to us and our sporting careers. Um, you know, my brothers in rugby, rowing, netball, basketball, and on it went, even motor racing. So um, our Sunday mornings yeah. were uh, really special. Kerry? Well, my mum also passed away a couple of years ago, but she was my biggest fan. She'd, after both Olympics, she'd rock up to take a domestic flight somewhere in Australia and ask for an upgrade because her, <laughs> she, her, she's the mother of a gold medalist. <laughs> so she was always ready to, to try and cash in on my fame, but in a beautiful way. She would introduce me as a gold medal daughter. And, um, and she also, when I was young, when I was, you know, before I was able to drive, she would take me to training rain, hail or shine. So, yeah, mums are very important. So happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I'm a mother. My son will see me tomorrow afternoon and hopefully he'll have a big present for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of love to my wife Sharon as well. Uh, and yeah, and to Christine. The backbone of the operation and also her mum. So her mum passed when she was 58. So back in 1999 and, uh, you know, just taught me so much about just unconditional love. So a uh, shout out to the late Robin Housen as well. Off to a break. This is Saturdays on the Coast on SEM. Robson Civil. With over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience, visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land. The Coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, we're live from Mingara, and again, I feel like I'm in some kind of transverse universe. <laughs> it feels like a dream, Moose. Uh, the Coaches Conference... Here at Mingara this morning, the Regional Academies of Sport. We're in the foyer at the moment, and I'd say there's at least over 100 people here, but alongside us, Paul Smith, the owner of the Sydney Kings. I'm sure you'd like to say something about him in a moment, but also Brad Donald, the coach of the Gillaroos. Take it away. Well, Smithy's got a big smile on his face after last night's game, and I think there were a lot of people from the coast that went down to that game. Paul, what was it like? Give us a run-through on game one. Well, firstly, Moosey, winners are grinners. <laughs> Don't ever forget that. That no, was all right. Look, it's game one of five, and uh, it was a good win. Um, I, I didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't enjoy the game. I, I don't know what happened. I just was a bit wound up, a bit tired. I think everyone was a bit tense, you know, and getting that series started and uh, getting it done. And, look, the jack jumpers, are they junk it up. They play a weird kind of basketball, very physical game of basketball, which is really opposite to what we like to play in terms of pace. But it was a great win, and yeah, we're hopefully we can get it done tomorrow and bring it home for a clean sweep on Wednesday. Yeah, I was saying earlier in the show that uh, Clark was outstanding for you. For him to get, I think he ended up with 17 points, shooting around 60-65%. He's been a real find when Hunter went out. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, he... You know, we picked him up mid-season there and, uh, and you know, there's all this sort of talk that it sort of came via uh, Bogues got him and all that sort of stuff. It was really much more straightforward than that. And, uh, you know, it was just that he was available. He was looking for, looking for something. We lost RJ Hunter and uh, he came in and uh, it's blown us away. His locker room presence, he's just his maturity. And, like, he's, he's just steely, man. He, like, he just... He's, he's a winner. He's just a winner, and he's going to drag it home. Whatever he'll do, whatever he's got to take, he's going to do it. Uh, yeah, you can uh, see that. Hey, Paul, you probably get asked this a lot, but in the Australian sporting landscape, why does someone become an owner? Well, it's, it's a bit like um, I was away that day, and I got it when I got back. Uh, it's a little bit of that. But, um, no, I, it was just 
For me, at least, it was just a curiosity, really. I, I'd been overseas for many years working and in business and came back to Australia and wanted to sort of, um, you know, reshape things a little bit about sports ownership. Um, and I think we're doing that. I think we're, do, I think we're doing a reasonable job of it. Um, we've got a long, long way to go. But you know, I think basketball is such an interesting sport for us. Uh, there's so much potential in it. Uh, it's, it's a huge sport at a grassroots level. It's professionally, it's got a long way to go. Well, I was going to say, if you talk to any of these people from the regional academies, they'd say basketball is probably their most popular sport. Well, it's one, of, it's one sport that is literally throughout all the, uh, all the academies. It's a very popular program, well supported by Basketball New South Wales, by the SSO. And obviously, I was saying, Smithy, Matt Kenyon, uh, who starts for the Jack Jumpers, came through our program up here. Right, yeah, look at that grub. I don't like that bloke, I can tell you. <laughs> and also, uh, we I trained he, him well. I know he didn't suit up last night, but Jaden Hodgson, yep. uh, Central Coast boy, That's through right. and through. Yeah. No, look it's, a, look, it's a nursery here, and it was interesting. You know, it's a real wake-up call when you come off the freeway, you head over to here today when I drove up from Sydney, and it's... You know, I hadn't seen it for a long time. You go, you know, you're, you're in an area where thousands of not look, it was hundreds of literally hundreds of cars parked, and it's a rugby league ground. And it was just great to see sport back. It's great to see sport going again. You know, it's such a connector in our community. It's a connector in our society. You know, I always say that when when COVID hit and regional and local sport dropped, it's just not elite sport. When local sport stopped. It fragments our community. It doesn't bring people together. You know, you can always have a plumber and a judge sitting over the fence watching their, yeah. both kids play their game together. That's the beautiful thing about our society. So it felt great this morning to see that. Really hey, did. Hey, lucky you haven't got the headset on because our producer's getting quite forceful back at headquarters. Time to go to another break. Brad Donald, the Gillaroos coach, is next on Saturdays on the Coast. Robson Civil, with over 60 years of leading civil constructions experience. Visit robsoncivilprojects.com.au. BJ Howes Metal Land, the coast's tradies' choice for tools, steel, gas. Visit bjhowes.com.au. You're listening to Saturdays on the Coast. Yeah, we're live from Ingara and just about time to wrap this up. Got to send a shout out to a great mate, Ash Gavinlock, who loves the show. He's listening in Mackay because that's where the Gold Coast play the Roosters uh, later on today. Uh, happy 50th, Ash Gavinlock. Uh, love you, mate, and all the best. And thanks for your message this morning. Uh, alongside us, Brad Donald, coach of the Gillaroos. Great to see you, mate. You actually grew up here. Yeah, I did grow up here. Um, spent uh, probably to, to the age of about 17, 18, and then I moved out west, and I've been all over the countryside and um, back here again today. So it's great to be here. Playing for the Played for the mighty Arimba Magpies, famous rugby league club here. But let's talk some NRLW. Roosters get the job done. What a win for them, and on their way to the finals, they beat the all-conquering Brisbane Broncos. Yeah, look, they were great, and I think uh, you know it's a great sign of the the depth of talent that we've got at the uh, in the NRLW ranks. Um, the Roosters, they're a bit clunky through the year, but one of those things is you know in such a short competition, if you get a couple of games right, bang, you've got yourself a premiership, and it was great to see some of those girls that have been toiling away for it. There's a number of players that have been there for for four seasons now, and the club's been working really hard, so it was great great for for them. It was great to see. Yeah. Numerous Central Coast girls, Isabel Kelly, a superstar, of course, but young girl, Jocelyn Kelleher. Yeah, she was fantastic too, you know. Like, um, one of my jobs uh, at the end of the year is going to be to pick 24 players to go to the UK 
to play for the Gillaroos in the World Cup, and it's a hell of a job because in, uh, they were they were all fantastic. In 25 words or less, what are you hoping for today at the coaches' conference? Uh, hopefully, like I just started out in Western New South Wales, like a lot of these guys, so hopefully can share some knowledge and experience, and hopefully one day that one of these guys that's uh, here is sitting in front of you guys talking about coaching a national side. Yeah, great stuff. Sorry to cut this short, Brad Donald, uh, Ian Rebellion. Thank you so much. What a day. Yeah, I mean, really, really special day, and we've you know focused on the importance of today, but can I just say it wouldn't happen without our key sponsors, and a great thanks to them. Yeah, don't forget the catch-up podcast. Thanks to Josh Kind, our technician. Thanks to Adam Staples at headquarters. We'll catch you next Saturday. Saturdays on the coast.